James 4, verses 11 and 12. Here, once again, God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word as it's read in the presence of God's people. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, through the merits of Christ and by the Spirit, would you enlighten our minds? Would you kindle our affections? And would you renew our wills unto this word, unto the gospel, unto your glory, and all that you have for us? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, we live in a time where freedom of expression it has become so central to the modern mind that it's almost disintegrating upon itself. Freedom of speech is often pitted against freedom of expression or freedom of existence. Do you you cannot speak against what I am wanting to be, how I see myself. Perhaps it was the 20th century and the centuries before that brought us to the point where what it seemed like possibly to, to be an American or to be a, a free person is to say what you want. Say whatever you want. And at some point, say whatever you want becomes do whatever you want. And at some point, do whatever you want becomes be whatever or whomever you want. And perhaps we have connected this in our American or Western or modern minds to the idea of freedom of speech. But that was not what freedom of speech was in the minds of most of the the founders of this nation. It was about limiting the government's ability to police and punish speech. The founders of this country knew that there were many reasons why you would want to limit the power of government to do that. But in reality, they would have in their minds thought that there's many things in one's life which curbs your speech, which regulates your speech. Your family teaches you things to say and to not say. Your community teaches you about a certain way to speak about one another and to one another. The responsibilities you have or where you work, the virtues that you seek to cultivate, and and ultimately your faith, your religion, all of these things hold us back from just taking the filter off of our mouths and doing and saying whatever we want. The book of Proverbs all over commends the person who holds back from speaking everything that comes into his mind, who keeps to himself rather than spreading strife. And with how many times we see God commanding us in His Word to a certain way of speaking. Many of the commands in Scripture, what is, what is it about? How do you speak to one another? 
we see that what we often think of outside of the church as, as freedom of speech becomes something different for the Christian, that ultimately God commands us and tells us and instructs us how we are to use our tongues. Thus, today we consider the command to not speak evil to one another or of one another, and we do so with an eye to the fact that often our criticism is pointed towards those who are ordained in the church as officers, those whom God has called to lead His people. And what we learn is that since God alone is judge and Savior, we must leave the judging and saving to Him alone and humbly entrust ourselves to our Savior and judge and King. Since He alone is Savior and Judge, we leave the saving and judging to Him, and we humbly entrust ourselves to our Savior, our Judge, and our King. First, the evil of speaking evil. Second, the folly of speaking evil. And third, the Savior for when you speak evil. First, the evil of speaking evil. What does James mean under the inspiration of the Spirit when he says, speak uh, no evil against one another? Well, this could be speaking against someone in public or in private. It could be speaking to them or behind their back. It can take various forms then. It could be spreading gossip. It could be spreading unsubstantiated rumors, which you spread because you want to tarnish the reputation of the person about whom you are speaking. It could be accusations of wrongdoing without proper evidence. It could be lying about someone in order to ruin their reputation. It could be an ungracious interpretation of someone's actions that leads you to criticize them, not giving someone the benefit of the doubt, not interpreting what they do in the love and the grace of Christ and the fellowship of the Spirit. It could be speaking ill of someone's good actions by judging their motives, saying something like, well, he is just doing that so that he looks good in front of others. He is just doing that so that he can get attention or that people can commend him. You're judging the motives of someone and thereby criticizing the good that they do. It could be highlighting one's faults and intentionally leaving out what is commendable in them and speaking that way about them to others. It could take other forms as well. But in summary, it is any kind of speech about our fellow brothers or sisters in Christ which damages them, which divides God's people, which creates factions, and which disturbs the peace of the church. And this would mean also that not contained within this command that is given to us, not only is it about speaking evil against one another, but also those who happily receive this kind of speech, uh, they sin with their ears and not necessarily their tongues. Right? To happily receive this kind of speech is a sin as well. At the outset, we see that speaking this kind of way is profoundly anti-Christian. All of the examples I gave and many more, speaking against one another is profoundly anti-Christian. How do God's people live? In Psalm 15, we see uh, these words, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Many of us know this psalm quite well. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, 
nor takes up a reproach against his friend. In other words, some of the, the first at the outset you see here, the person who communes with God, the person who has the blessing and the enjoyment of fellowship with him, some of those first characteristics that are listed is a, someone who has righteousness dwelling in their mouth and what they say. Titus chapter 3, remind the people to be submissive to rulers and to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Romans 1, you have uh, uh, a lot of words that Paul uses against sins that we tend to think of as especially heinous and especially kind of these these sins that are always in the conversation today, sexual sins and homosexuality, but also within that chapter, those who are haters of God and insolent are also described as slanderers, those who slander others. So it's profoundly anti-Christian to do these kinds of things, to speak this way about one another and towards one another. Not only is it profoundly anti-Christian, it is particularly satanic. It is like the devil. When we find descriptions of Satan in the Scriptures, it is not particularly that he is an adulterer or a Sabbath-breaker. What is he? He is the father of lies, and he is the accuser of the brethren. When we become the unjust accuser of the brethren, we live like the devil. And this impresses upon us once again that though our world may be flippant about our words and about what they say, we must not be. Though it is seen in the world, to, you're only genuine if you say everything that is on your mind and if you express yourself. We must not be that way. One of the things that we need to remember is when we face temptation to speak evil against one another, we must understand and remind ourselves that as you do so against a brother or sister in Christ, you do so against one upon whom God has set his everlasting and perfect love. Against someone upon whom God has set his affection from all eternity and has said, this one is mine. And as Reformed Christians, we want to make sure that we preserve that our doctrine of the church and that it actually means something. To be a member of a church and to be joined to a congregation. And all of our fellow members in this church who are in good standing, that has to mean something. And when we allow our mouths to be filled with evil against one of them, we are, going, we are saying that against someone who, as far as we would say, has been set free through Jesus Christ and God's eternal love is set upon him. So if you have a grievance against someone, if there is something that you believe is, is legitimately a problem, you see your brother or your sister in Christ sinning, you see a pattern in their life that you believe needs to be addressed, without sacrificing biblical principles, you must go to that person. You must bring the matter before them with gentleness and with love. You must tell them what has offended you or what has you worried about their own soul what you have observed which has told you something about them, and bring the matter to them humbly. And if that does not work, you must then bring it to the elders of your church without speaking evil of them. Again, without sacrificing biblical principles to present the matter in humility and ultimately what? Out of concern for the person. 
It's very easy to distinguish when someone is speaking of someone else whether or not their heart is filled with love for that person, whether their ultimate concern is, I want this person to be, to be in rich fellowship and communion with God and to live for His glory and to be being cleansed and renewed through Christ. We can consider this today relative to the installation of new officers, because perhaps even more than slander against one another, backbiting just against one another, upon whom does the evil speech, the gossip, and slander often happen in the church? Well, it's against the officers of the church. It's those who serve and are under a microscope, the deacons, the elders, the pastors. One Puritan pastor says that the human heart is prone to hate the one who judges at the gate. In other words, we tend to rebel against authority that is put over us. That's part of the the indwelling sin in our hearts. It is said that that someone is in charge of something in your life, and the sin in your heart pricks up against that. You can think of teenagers or children growing up, and many of them struggle with obedience as they're becoming young adults. All of them do. And what is something that they will tend to do? They'll tend to look for faults in their parents, watch them with a close eye, in a way that gives them excuses to rebel against their parents. In our age, we tend to look for any reason to defy authority and government. Now, I don't say this because I believe that government always reproves itself well, but we need to take seriously the weight of what Scripture says. Be submissive to authorities. But pastors and officers are most watched. They are therefore most scrutinized. And this should come as no surprise, for we know what is the easiest way to disrupt the peace of the church. It's either to to have people in their hearts turned against those who are set over them, or for those who rule in the church as officers to fall into scandalous sins. This is the the work of, of Satan often in the church to turn the hearts of the people against those whom God has placed over them, or to present uh, life-destroying temptations to those who serve in the offices of the church. This scandalizes the name and the witness of the church. So as we commend these two men today and recognize how God has gifted and equipped them for their service, may we ask the Lord for help that none of us may speak evil of them, nor of any of those entrusted to lead us to Christ. And if you serve as an officer in the church, may you go to the Lord to understand the weight of your office, the weight of what you have been called to do, that especially you are to lead God's people in an exemplary way as to what it means to speak no evil against one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and is to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And then this, be at peace amongst yourselves. See, the one follows the other, doesn't it? How do we remain at peace? We speak no evil. Speak no evil against one another. In James, we see various condemnations of bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, and and envy. And the wisdom of the world that we addressed, that we saw in James chapter 4 and chapter 3 as well, allows us to, or it brings us to this point where we think we, we need to say and do and be 
whatever we want and whomever we want. That's, that's the wisdom of the world. Pursue anything. Do what you believe will make you happy. Throw away all regulations and rules. But we see the folly in doing so, don't we? Because the folly in doing so forgets the judge. Forgetting the judge, you run away from the Savior. So second, the folly of speaking evil. To speak evil against one another is foolish. Why? Because it goes against the commands of God. Very clearly in Scripture. It's there for us in our passage today. Uh, you don't need a pastor to explain to you what that means. Speak no evil against one another. We know what it means. We saw it in Leviticus chapter 19. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. At the end of Leviticus 19, the Lord says, Hear my words, obey me, for I am your God. I am the Lord. In other words, I have the authority and the right to give you commands, to tell you how to live. That's kind of a countercultural thing today, isn't it? That as Christians, we say, God tells us how we must live. And we are to simply listen to Him, obey, and pray for the grace to obey Him in the way that glorifies Him. So when you break this commandment to speak no evil against one another, what are you doing? Well, James tells us, you act as a judge of the law. You put yourself above God's Word, and you look down at it, and you say, that is not worthy of being obeyed. That is not a, a, a law that I should listen to. That's not a law that I should obey. We, we judge the law in, in another sense because most often our sinful criticisms of people have to do with their not conforming to our own opinions of how they should act. We're reaching beyond Scripture and saying, this person should live according to, to my opinions. That's often how criticism works. In the early church, the, this was a huge issue, right? The uh, thinking about the, the Jewish calendar, all of the, 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 the feasts and the ceremonies that Israel had had up to that point. And there was a huge conversation about whether or not Christians then needed to adopt all of that and live according to it, because Jesus is the fulfillment of all the, the Old Testament. And it was, he was sent first to the lost people of, of the house of Israel. But the question was for the early church, and the question is for us today, what does God's Word say? It's Reformed Christians. Right? It's sola scriptura. It is our final rule of faith, our final authority in the Christian faith and in our practice of the Christian faith. So in Colossians 2, the Apostle Paul, speaking of this, says, no one, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, right? what you eat, what you drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. In other words, they're, they're going off into speculation, and what are they not doing? When we go off into speculation, when we go beyond what the Word of God says, when we try to legislate our own laws or impose our expectations upon others, what do we do? He says, not holding fast to the head, not clinging to Christ, not abiding in Him from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. The question is always, 
What has God's word said? said? So when your own heart brings you to a place, when you, are, you feel that you're being tempted to criticize one of your brothers or sisters or to speak against them, ask yourself, is what I am feeling in my heart, is it because what they are doing directly goes against Scripture? Is it because what they are doing is harmful for them? It's leading them into disobedience of their God and their Lord. And thus, if the answer to that question is yes, then you know what you have to do. You, you humbly go to your brother or your sister. You encourage them. You show them from God's Word uh, where things have gone wrong. It's judging the law, putting yourself above God's Word. Putting yourself above God's Word then puts yourself above God Himself. You become a law and a God unto yourself. You say that God made a mistake in giving us His words and His laws, that He forgot something, that He should have addressed something more fully, and thus His Word is insufficient. Is it any wonder why such a heart brings someone to disobedience? Why James says they are not a doer of the law, but a judge. When you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law. Isn't this what all sin is? What happened in the Garden of Eden? What did Adam do? They put themselves above the commandment of God. They looked down at it and they said, not worthy of being obeyed. I'm going to write my own laws. Ultimately, that's what all sin is. It brings your heart to the place where you say, not worthy of being obeyed. I'm going to write my own laws. In James chapter 1, what does he say? Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Because one who only hears the word and does not do it deceives himself. It's like a man that looks in the mirror and then forgets what he looks like. One of the things that James does in this passage is he encourages us to throw shame on our pride. I heard this past week someone was talking about whatever happened to community shame. You know, we look around in our world, we see many crazy things now, don't we? Whatever happened to the whole, what will the neighbors say? We're not going to speak too deeply about that, but that used to be something that tended to, to regulate the behavior of people. And perhaps we have lost some of that. But something that Scripture tells us we ought to do is to throw shame on your pride. In effect, James says in this passage, who do you think you are? And if you act in this kind of a way, you have convinced yourself that, that you are like a God and a law unto yourself. You must bring yourself to the point where you say, where your heart brings you to say something, to speak evil against your brother or your sister, who do I think I am? Thinking and talking about people in this way, why do I so quickly forget my place? Why do I put myself at the center of things? Why do I put my opinions at the center of all things? Wretched man that I am. So as you throw shame on your pride, who are you? To judge your neighbor. There is one lawgiver and Savior. Throw shame on your pride, and then you humble yourselves before the Word and those who bring the Word to you. That's the posture of a Christian. Humble before the Word of God, and humble before the ones whom God has called to shepherd you. That's what the officers, pastors of the church do. Their heart, their desire, here's a challenge for all officers, their desire must be to bring you into deeper fellowship with Christ 
and obedience to God by simply applying God's Word to your life. That's what they must do. And thus, all of the church is called to remember that. Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. There's a dual dual reminder and command there, isn't there? Submit to your leaders, yes, but leaders, you better be keeping watch over their souls. Your hearts better be filled with the desire to see them love Christ more, to arrive at that last day fully trusting in Jesus. That's all that we can do. We don't legislate our laws. We declare what God has said. We don't act, we don't lord it over God's people. We minister to them. We shepherd them. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. But people of God, you need to entrust that your leaders are shepherding you under the authority of the Word of God. You need to entrust that that is what they are doing, not reaching beyond the bounds of Scripture. And your leaders will one day give an account. The evil of speaking evil, the folly of speaking evil, the Savior for when you speak evil. If you're anything like me, boy, you need to hear of a Savior who saves you from that which you should not have said. We must see first how dangerous this kind of of sin is and that we would ascend to the place of God's judgment in our hearts what would that mean for when we stand on, before the real judge on Judgment Day? You've lived your life on earth like how? Like your own judge. You've lived your life on earth thinking that God's word and his laws and his commands are not worthy to be obeyed. How will that go on Judgment Day? James says there is one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. Right? All, of, all of creation stands under the kingship of the Lord. Deuteronomy 32, see that I, even I am he, there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive, I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. God alone has that authority to create, to judge, to save, and to condemn. Are you living under his lordship? Thankfully, James gives us in this passage the hope of the gospel. Because the one with the authority to condemn is also the one with the power to save. What is, what is perhaps the biggest problem when our mouths are filled with evil against one another? What is one of the biggest problems? Is that when we judge our brothers and sisters, and our pastors and our elders and our deacons, it's that when we convince ourselves that we should judge, we forget to consider that we certainly cannot save. Can you save anyone from their sins? Can I save anyone from their sins? No, of course not. Brothers and sisters, isn't it amazing, isn't it incredible that on the last day, everyone who has ever lived will stand before Jesus Christ and the very one who hands out the judgments to those who lived with judgment and malice and evil in their hearts will be the very same one who humbled himself and made himself a ransom for sinners. On that day, Jesus will be a dreadful enemy. But today, Christian, to you, he is a wonderful and a kind Savior. And if he is a wonderful and a kind Savior to you today, 
because you have entrusted your soul to Him, because you have humbled yourself before His glory and His majesty, because you have from the heart uh, understood that you need a Savior, thus you repent of your sins and you believe in His work for you to wash away all your sins. And if He is your friend and Savior today, He will be your friend and Savior on that day as well. What is it that allows us to live our lives in an increasing way, speaking less and less evil of one another? Stumble points along the way, for sure. But what is it that allows us to live more and more in light of this commandment? It's the power of a humble yet reigning Savior. It's that the one who rules our hearts the one who commands the winds and the waves, the one by whom and for whom all things were made, did not stay in the judgment seat, but came to be judged. He came to become the judged. He came to bear the wrath. He came to reconcile us to God by His blood. The true knowledge of This wondrous grace of God is what allows us to adopt the proper posture in all things. To say that though Jesus Christ had every right to stay in the judgment seat and to send all of us to condemnation for the things that we think, for the things that we say, for the things that we do, that is not where He stayed. And the one with the very same power and authority to judge and to condemn is the one who humbled Himself, who gave Himself for sinners with evil and malice in their hearts and their tongues. The ones who, uh, who all, always stumble in many ways and ascend above the authority of their God and their Creator and their Maker who say this commandment is not worthy of being obeyed, who say this law is insufficient, who speak against those whom God has created and loved and saved. If you know that wondrous grace that has come to us in Jesus Christ, that must, with an increasing measure, shape your heart and soften it and make it tender not only to your God who has saved you, but also to one another. For God saves us in Jesus Christ as His people, as His bride, as His treasure. The judge is the one who saved you. And on the last day, with the remembrance of your sins, cognizant of what you have done against God, you will look upon the one who is high and lifted up, the one who is supremely exalted, the one to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given. And if you repented and believed in Him, He will be the one who will have washed away all of your sins and made your salvation certain and final and perfect. In light of that, in light of grace, in light of Jesus Christ, in light of His wondrous love, brothers and sisters, who are you, who are we to judge our neighbors, to judge your leaders, to judge God's Word, to judge God Himself. We're not talking about making distinctions and trying to see to ensure that God's Word is being obeyed. Of course we are to do that. 
Can you recognize sin in your brothers and sisters? Of course you can, and you ought to, and you must. You are commanded to to, to go to them, to encourage them with the Word of God. That's not what we're talking about. In light of what Christ has done, who are you? Who am I? Who are we? To judge our neighbors, our leaders, to judge God's Word, to judge God Himself. May we find the better way, not the way of judgment, but the way where we rejoice in the grace of the God-man who became judged for us. Give your heart to Him. Trust in Him. Love Him. Be wondrously captured with all that Jesus Christ has done for you. And if you do so, He will bring you to this place where you have the proper posture before Him and before your brothers and sisters, that we may hear these words and do them, perhaps imperfectly, but do them in faith of our Savior Judge, entrusting ourselves to Him. And may He cause us to obey it in increasing measure, day by day. Let's pray.